Well, career development is another key issue for GSOC. A manager can and should focus on and, and encourage a number of things, I would say. And these are really the obligations of the manager. Welcome to Impactful Career Podcast. For those who are listening for the first time, this is where we speak with the most influential professionals in the sector and ask them directly everything to help you navigate the impact sector in smarter ways. Today, I am honored and mostly thrilled and excited to talk to Joe Rispoli, who is the chief of the staff committee at the International Organization for Migration, the IOM, which is now one of the protagonist branches of the UN system due to the global realities and old trends that suggest that it will take a much, much central point in the impact sector given the climate crisis, the wars, the growing inequalities, and everything that are on the rise that are consequently producing more migration. Dear and respected uh, Mr. Rispoli, thank you for making yourself available. I am deeply grateful. How are you today? Thanks so much for having me, Jorge. I'm, uh, I'm doing great and really looking forward to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. So if you don't mind, I'd like to get to it. I can wait to hear your answers. <clears throat> so uh, could yeah. we, can you start by telling us what is the role of the staff association at the, at the IOM? Okay. Well, that's a good question. We have two main roles. We have our practical roles and we have our moral roles, let's say. So for the practical roles that we play, we promote staff welfare and well-being. That's very, very critical to our daily work. So we hold mental health and wellness events in order to make staff feel appreciated, respected, valued, and cared for by the association. And then we also uh, have the role of understanding, protecting, and defending staff rights and staff interests by empowering staff. So we advocate on their behalf with the administration, especially when policies or rules or regulations haven't been consistently or transparently applied in different situations involving different staff members. Uh, in addition, we identify, address, and resolve issues that affect staff. And we try and do that informally in collaboration with the Office of the Ombudsperson and the Staff Welfare Officer and others. But whenever necessary, we also offer legal advice through the GSAC external legal advisors and legal insurance coverage when we do need to go the formal legal route. And then we also make referrals to relevant support services as necessary. The other thing we do is we act as a channel of communication between the administration and staff members, especially those in the deep field, because many staff in the, in the deep field are disconnected from what's happening uh, at headquarters and vice versa. So we put out podcasts just like this one, videos, top tips. Policy Bites, where we kind of distill the most important ingredients and elements of different policies and surveys so that we can make staff voices heard and we can increase mutual understanding between staff and the administration. And the other sort of practical role we play is to advocate for the development and the amendment of different policies to address systemic issues organization-wide issues. So if we have many different staff members who come to us 
about similar issues, we take them to the administration and we advocate for policy changes accordingly. And then we also have a moral role to play. And for this, I think we have to lead by example. So, you know, as GSAC, as the Global Staff Association Committee, we're in the spotlight and people need to see that we're treating our GSAC members, our GSAC secretariat, our regional representatives well, and that we're promoting their well-being. Because if we can't do it for ourselves as GSAC, then how can we do it for the Global Staff Association members and for staff members at large? And they need to see that we're following the rules, that we're being transparent, that we're being fair. So leading by example is really, really critical. Otherwise, the Global Staff Association members, the, the staff of IOM, will not feel comfortable coming to GSAC for support. So both the practical and the moral roles are very important. Yes, that's uh, frankly speaking, that's the main reason why I'm super anxious to hear your answers because you truly represent the voice of so many professionals in the in the UN system and, and, and advocate and look after them. And you're quite in line in touch with with their concerns, disenchantments, and, and with the good things as well. And the progress that the, the committee has been able to achieve throughout policies and, and through your work. Following up, and, and what have you learned by being involved, leading and representing the whole staff? Uh, what are the main complaints, disenchantments, these things? Well, yeah, that's also a good question. Actually, we have a few main areas in which staff tend to tend to complain or put in grievances uh, to GSAC. The main issue where over 50% of all of our cases have related to lack of job security. So here we're talking about grievances related to non-renewal or termination of employment contracts. And that can be because of many different factors. It could be related to abolition of posts. It could be due to restructuring personality clashes between the, the manager and the, the staff member, cronyism, favoritism, um, and it could be due to performance issues. Maybe there's poor performance, but maybe there's been a lack of due process or there hasn't been procedural fairness, so the procedures haven't been followed, like the performance improvement plan or documenting the poor performance, which can lead to Um, red flags being raised, right? Because then they're claiming, the manager is claiming that it's poor performance, but there isn't any evidence of poor performance, which could uh. raise eyebrows in the sense that staff could think, okay, maybe this is just, uh, they want to bring in their own person, their own friend, sure, or, sure. or because of a personality clash, or they're just making up that it's about restructuring, but it's not actually about that. So, so that's a key issue. And this is also because of projectization. You know, we're more project-based um, than most other UN agencies. So that means that we're able to be very operational, responsive, and flexible, and we're not overly bureaucratic. And that's great for serving migrants and governments and other beneficiaries. But the cons associated with that are that staff are often put on short-term contracts, and that puts them in a vulnerable position. And sometimes for many years, they could be on short-term contracts, consultancy contracts, ungraded contracts, where they're not given all the entitlements that those on regular or fixed-term contracts would have. Um, another issue is misconduct, harassment, so sexual or harassment or otherwise, abuse of authority, 
bullying, mobbing, these sorts of things. So allegations of misconduct, there's a sort of lack of psychological safety among certain staff. Um, there could be a fear of retaliation if they report allegations of misconduct. So I would say that's, uh, that's second in terms of the main reasons that colleagues come to us as GSAC for support. And then thirdly, medical issues. Is something to be considered sick leave or occupational leave? Occupational leave can imply that there would be some disability benefits perhaps and can be more, cost, more costly for the organization. So, And then there are staff with mental health issues and stress-related issues. So st- in terms of mental health issues, there's still stigmatization uh, surrounding that. And sometimes they'll come to GSAC, and sometimes all they need is for us to actively listen and empathize with them and provide advice or guidance um, or just encourage them. Other times there are stress-related issues. So HRM put out a global staff survey earlier this year. And what we realized from the survey results was that we have very highly committed and highly engaged staff members, which is wonderful. Staff are motivated and they are engaged. However, they're big stress balls as well. They're working long hours. They're working at a very frantic pace. People are very, very stressed out. So while they're very committed and motivated, they're also very stressed out. So they come to GSAC a lot when it comes to this. Um, and we do have examples of, you know, of people who have achieved so much and come with so much energy, some of whom have gotten burnt out now and they, they have, they're experiencing depression or anxiety or trauma. Um, they have mental illness or, um, they're, they're just so burnt out that there's substance misuse and some of them even have to go to rehab and some of them are neglecting their families and so on. So there's, there's this kind of workaholic phenomenon that's happening where people feel the need within the organizational culture to work, 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 and they feel guilty if they're not always working. And so GSAC is trying to raise awareness among staff at all levels, because this is at all levels, right? Um, That they shouldn't feel guilty if they're not working all the time. They need to try and achieve work-life balance and work-life integration, which is different for every individual, but it does need to be achieved. Following up on the first point that you touched, the, the job security, I just need to hear your opinion. This matter, I understand that the Global Staff Association Committee helps the individual cases, but how do you see in the future in terms of policy? Is anything being done to offer better job security for the UN staff, not only in the IOM, but in general. What what do you think about that? Because I've been interviewing several directives and it seems there's not a clear veredict. Some people think there is it's inexistent anymore and some people think that it's being worked on. What's your take on that? Okay, well, a few things. The administration is in the process of revising and updating our consultants policy. So our policy on the selection and employment of consultants. So what it's supposed to be is rules and guidelines in relation to those who work remotely. Let's say a professor or researcher who has a specialized role to play that we don't have available in-house, right? And they can do a background paper, a research paper for us on migration-related issue, right? That's how it should be, remote consultants. 
as of now, so many consultants are working full-time as employees, right? In the office every day, just like any other staff member, but without access to the medical service Mm. plan. So no health insurance, without access to pension rights. Um, And even without access to leave time as per the policy. So it's up to the discretion of the supervisor. But now with this revised version that um, the administration is in the process of putting together and will issue next year, they're going to include things like leave time for staff who work on consultancy contracts but are actually working as employees and a range of other benefits. So that's good. And GSAC has been advocating very strongly in this regard that if we're going to have, just like many other UN agencies, if we're going to have so many consultants who are working as de facto employees, we need to give them more benefits and entitlements, right? And make them less vulnerable. So so that's one thing that the administration is doing, which is positive. Um, secondly, they're in the process of rolling out the unified staff regulations and rules. And there's a country-specific appendix, which has certain acquired rights in it. And it depends on a lot of factors in each country, privileges and immunities and so on our relationship with the governments and so on. But at the end of the day, once the USRR has been rolled out in a given country, then technically staff who are on ungraded contracts, and again, if you're on an ungraded contract, you have access to the medical service plan, but you don't have access to a pension and a range of other Mm. entitlements, education grant, and so on. But now once the country-specific appendix has been rolled out, In each particular country, we're in theory supposed to convert staff members from ungraded contracts to proper contracts. They could be special short term, fixed term, and so on. And that is happening. In, in many of the countries where, where we're rolling out the country-specific appendix. So see, these are some of the initiatives being undertaken to try and deal with some of these issues. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. That brings hope to me and the people who we represent. Another following up to, to some of the things that you were mentioning about the manager responsibility. What is, what is exactly the responsibility a manager has in terms of career development towards its staff? Well, career development is another key issue for GSAC. And it is mainly in the hands of the staff members themselves. It is their responsibility. However, a manager can and should focus on and and encourage a number of things, I would say. Mm. One is, and these are really the obligations of the manager. One is to have sufficient time carved out for continuous learning for staff members. So that could be making time for them to attend training events. Um, It could be time for them to engage in informal and social learning, like on-the-job training or mentoring, coaching, shadowing, staff exchanges, you name it. I'm very, very passionate about this topic because I'm actually a certified professional in learning and performance. Mm-hmm. It took me two years to become and, and in, in training delivery. So this is actually my, my area, okay. partly for IOM, but really this was something I did on, on the side as well. So I'm very passionate about this. And through GSAC, it's something we're really promoting. So um, study leave, making time available for study leave so that they can develop their professional skills um, that will serve them well and allow them to advance in their careers. All this is very important. And to this end, we've, in the last few months, 
hired a consultant as GSAC to develop a policy package on staff development and learning. So the consultant is in the process of compiling good practices uh, based on 10 UN policies from different agencies on staff development and learning. And consultant in the next two months will come up with a series of concrete recommendations, which we'll look at as GSAC and then we'll use to put together our own position on staff development and learning. And this is because uh, HRM is in the process of developing its very first staff development and learning policy. And they've actually come to GSAC um, a few months ago and said, can you do this comparative analysis of good practices from different UN agencies so that we can incorporate these into the policy? And this is GSAC's contribution. So it's a great partnership with HRM in this regard. Now, this is one area. Another area on career development is it's so important for managers to be able to, based on their broader view of the organization and the practicalities that they have an understanding of, to, to know how to recognize staff member strengths and to match their skills with, with different tasks. So to give tasks in mm. accordance with their skill sets mm. and saying, you're good at, at this. And, and so I'm going to give you these things so you can leverage and capitalize on your strengths in your role right now. And maybe you can develop in these ways and you can consider becoming this or taking on this role next or, or trying to apply for these roles next. And that's to the mutual benefit of the staff and the organization. So it's not just about giving any task to any staff member, but really knowing what skill sets and what interests your staff, your employees have so that you can do this skills matching and, and dole out and allocate tasks accordingly. And lastly, I would say is developing a, helping them to develop a career plan and a professional development plan and helping them to articulate possible career paths based on their skill sets and based on their interests. So let's say, for instance, they want to become a program manager, right? So then it's the manager's job really to, to encourage them by saying, okay, here are the minimal requirements. In terms of educational qualifications and professional training, you need to do either the PMP or PRINCE2, for instance, if you want to be a program manager at IOM. Yes. You need to know how to manage people, resources, time, um, your budget. So financial management is important. You need to know how to prioritize. You need to know how to coordinate with stakeholders. You need to know how to report back to donors. Um, you need to know, have emotional and social intelligence. Uh, you need to be able to achieve results, be results-based, not just activity-based, and so on and so forth. So, you know, for a staff member who's a project assistant, who's maybe at the national level and wants to become uh, an international, let's say a P3 program manager, yes, here, here are the minimum requirements you need. These are all mm -hmm. things that managers ought to do in order to support the career development of their staff. So again, I end by saying that it's the responsibility of the staff member to take career development in their own hands. No one is going to do it for them and they have to be proactive and, and explore the different opportunities and go after them. But these roles that I've mentioned of the manager are very, very critical. And I don't think you can have a very good manager who isn't looking after staff staff members' career development in at least these different ways. 
Mm. So now you know, listeners, it is in your own hands, but the infrastructure is in there, is there already. Following up, and, and this, these answers and these things is, is very, it gives me a lot of hope for all the professionals in the sector, but jumping to when these policies are already in place, but sometimes are not well practiced. So my, my question is, there has been many cases of malpractices or wrongdoings, not only in these cases, but scandals and several international organizations. What would you advise an employee that has experienced such situations, either with his or her manager or, or uh, colleagues or whatever situation? And, and is, is, this, is the GSAC helps with that. Yeah. What can you say about that? As GSAC, we would advise for staff to take advantage of the the various mechanisms and systems that are in place at IOM to protect staff against these malpractices and wrongdoings. And IOM's really done a lot in this regard this year. So in 2018, our Ethics and Conduct Office put out a respectful workplace survey. And based on the results, uh, it's led to several measures. And I could say that the results showed that there's a kind of fear of retaliation or lack of psychological safety and underreporting yes. of alleged misconduct as a result. Mm-hmm. So, so the administration has really stepped up and said, okay, we want people to report alleged misconduct so that we can investigate and get to the bottom of it. And that's great. And they said, we want people to have psychological safety. So a few things that they've done in the last half a year in particular. In August, they came out with instruction 275, which is our new reporting and investigation of misconduct framework. And that lays out very clearly the roles of the Office of the Inspector General, the Ethics and Conduct Office, the legal department, and other units, and how they are to liaise with other units of the administration. Um, And it covers all facets of misconduct reporting, whistleblowing, investigations, punishing misconduct, and so on. So this is one thing. So they've now clearly defined the roles and responsibilities for each thing. If it's harassment, you go to OIG. If it's retaliation, you go to ECHO, and so on and so forth. Now, at around the same time, about a month later, they've started, they've spearheaded the We Are All In initiative. So this initiative Basically, it's permanently embedded on our intranet homepage now, where you can report allegations of misconduct. And it's very, it's very, very easy. It's a simple form. You click on the box on the homepage, and you can anonymously and confidentially report allegations of misconduct. And it's all encrypted. So this is the first time ever that you can do this. And, mm. and so lots of staff are starting to gain trust in the administration that they can anonymously and confidentially report misconduct and that it will be investigated. And that confidence has been uh, increased in the administration as well because they've been recruiting auditors, investigators, and legal officers, uh, among other staff, over the last few months as well. And they're going to continue to do so early into early next year. They went to the member states and they said, look, we need more money. There are, we need more investigations to be carried out in a timely manner. And that means we need more auditors, investigators, and legal staff. And, and that's what they've been doing. They also know that they can come to GSAC. Staff members can come to GSAC and other support services, HRM, 
uh, staff welfare officer and so on, and the office of the ombudsperson. And we are trying to resolve issues in an informal way. And we also have NSACs, National Staff Association Committees, and we have 53 of them around the world who try and resolve issues at the source as well. And the Office of the Ombudsperson has respectful workplace focal points, over 100 of them in different countries around the world as well. So this is easier, cheaper, and less psychologically, emotionally, and mentally taxing on staff if these things can be resolved through informal means in these ways. I see, I see. And, and for instance, speaking particularly about women, women professionals in the sector, uh, about their rights as staff policy, is, is there something that is being worked for them? As we know, uh, the IOM and the, the whole UN system is striving as Impact Police has been helping to, to improve the gender parity in the, in the staff. Uh, but sometimes the the policy and the structures are not catered for women in every aspect. Uh, could you speak or could you comment about this? Yes, this is a very, very important issue. As you mentioned, gender parity. So based on some of the issues that we've seen as GSAC affecting women, such as underrepresentation or lack of gender parity, as you mentioned, especially at senior levels, P4 and above, particularly P5 exactly. and above. Um, we've been encouraging them to support each other, to mentor each other informally, and to lobby for the creation of more inclusive policies that cater to their needs in IOM. And this is really important. And because this will deal with some of the structural elements as well, right? So one example I can mention is the unified parental leave policy package that GSAC put together in the last few months. Basically, the idea is that right now we have separate maternity, paternity, uh, adoption, and surrogacy leave policies, right? And what we're advocating very strongly for, which I know will go ahead uh, in the next year or so, is to have one flexible, family-friendly policy that incorporates all of those into one, maternity, paternity, adoption, and surrogacy leave. And we're lobbying for 24 weeks So roughly six months of maternity leave instead of 16 weeks, instead of roughly four months. And that's for mothers who give birth. But then we're also advocating for those who don't give birth, um, those who adopt, those who use surrogates for paternity leave. We're advocating for 12 weeks for bonding time instead of just eight weeks, minimum. 12 weeks. It would be nice if we could have 16 weeks. We're going for the gold standard here. And that, what would that lead to? That would mean that women would have more time to attend to their family commitments. And then they may be in a better position also to pursue career opportunities at higher levels. And this would help to contribute to greater work-life balance as well, right? And so at the same time, GSEC is strongly advocating for greater representation of women at senior levels in IOM. So the structural element. And, and in that regard, the administration needs to continue to offer more suitable opportunities to women at these senior levels. So we're trying to hit okay. it from all ends. Okay, that sounds great. And Joe, we can spend days talking about uh, your work because it's, it's very interesting, but, but you are, as a person, a very interesting person. You have a very interesting career. You've been ar around all over. You've worked several years in, in Ghana. Would you mind telling us about your experience uh, working there? Yes. Uh, my experience in Ghana was 
amazing. It was an amazing opportunity uh, for me to go to the field for the first time mm-hmm. and to be able to see the impact that I was having through teamwork. We had a great team firsthand, on a firsthand basis. So it was amazing. And at the same time, it was a humbling experience. It was humbling because you see that what we were there to do was to rescue trafficked children from commerce, from bonded labor uh, at the hands of commercial fishermen along Lake Volta, the largest man-made lake in the world, is there in Ghana. Mm-hmm. So you have these kids between the ages of three, as young as three years old, can you believe it, and 19, who were living and working in these terrible conditions. I mean, very poor nutrition, they ate once a day, poor health, no access to healthcare, they had malaria and worms and gastrointestinal illnesses and all sorts of infections and so on. They were beaten if they didn't catch enough fish. Uh, and, you know, and we caught it on camera. In fact, you know, we, we had the media there and yeah. one media station actually saw, caught on camera a fisherman beating a child with a paddle. No. And, and that child had severe back problems and had to undergo surgery as a result. So this is the kind of thing we were up against. So the first thing we had to do was to earn the community's trust and respect. So we had to earn the trust and respect of the chiefs of the fishermen and of the fishermen's wives as well. And and then we had to stay there in these difficult conditions um, in what we called the Moonlight Hotel. So the Moonlight Hotel was, we'd stay in these fishing communities. We would, we would have to go in a rickety fishing canoe for, for two hours to get to these remote fishing communities. And there were no hotels or anything. So we'd put a few benches together and sleep under medicated mosquito nets for a few weeks at a time wow. in order to gain their trust and respect, right? Huh. And, yeah. and then we would secure the release of some of the trafficked children. Bear in mind, there was no law, no Human Trafficking Act until December 2005 in Ghana. So there was no way to, uh, to prosecute them. So we would secure their release from the fishermen. We would take them to a transit camp for a week where they would be given hot meals, dewormed, some, med- some urgent medical care, and some, some basic counseling. And then we would take, transfer them to Accra, to the capital, uh, to the Department of Social Welfare's Rehabilitation Center there. And they would receive three months of in-depth psychosocial counseling, creative art therapies, everything from puppetry to drama performances and role plays and so on, um, medical assistance for the three months. And we did that while we traced the children's families in their communities of origin. And then we would reunite them with their families and provide them with reintegration assistance. So we'd enroll children in schools or apprenticeships, we'd pay the fees, and we'd give them the necessary materials. And we do that for a number of years. And ultimately, it was it was an amazing opportunity because we gave those 730 children, a chance to have a more promising future in the end. And to me, that's what real impact is all about. Yes, yes, I understand. What you're talking about, it's it's even for me that I'm truly passionate about social justice and it's it's difficult to dimension at that level. So can can you tell us what could you advise staff that it's, it's about to go and work in those kind of, of field missions? hardship to the stations what what would you advise them well that's really important because what we find is that we have so many people so many colleagues who come to gsac who have burnt out or in the pre-burnout stage and these were people some of whom i know well they had lots of energy enthusiasm passion for the work just a few years ago and some of them for years were like that and then all of a sudden boom 
burnt out, as I mentioned before, depression, anxiety, substance misuse, some having to enter rehab. Uh-huh. And, and it just kind of hits them like a ton of bricks, right? Especially if they're hopping from one hardship duty station to another. Yeah. So, you know, the advice that we would give is take advantage of this useful experience, yes, uh, because if you only work at headquarters and in regional offices, then at the end of the day, you're, you run the risk of becoming detached yeah. from the reality on the ground. And you can't see the impact the way you can see the concrete impact on the traffic children in Ghana, for instance, right? So that's one thing. Take advantage of it. But, but and this is a big caveat, while you take advantage of that, that great opportunity to learn from your experience in the field and to make an impact and to see the results, keep the bigger picture in mind. No matter how much responsibility you have on your shoulders, you have to take care of yourself. You have to engage in self-care. Otherwise, you will not be able to make a sustainable impact. In hardship duty stations, people often engage in unhealthy coping strategies and they become disconnected from the world, from their own families, from others. And they engage in all sorts of unhealthy behaviors, you know, and this leads to negative outcomes like some of the ones I mentioned before uh, and mental illnesses and so on. And, you know, they say once you've burnt out, it's very it's very hard. You can recover, but you may not be exactly as you were before you got burnt out. Right. So it's so important. So just keeping the bigger picture in mind and, and understanding that in order to make a real difference and a sustainable impact, it requires a group effort. It's not you only as an individual who has to take all of it on your own shoulders. No. And sometimes it's easy when you're out there in these hardship locations and you see so much happening. It's, it's easy for you to, to lose the forest for the trees, per se. So I would, I, that's the advice that I think we would give. Hmm. And, and Joe, moving on to more of, of your current position, You've reached quite far and, and you still have a way to go and, and, and you're really, really, really a, a player, an influential person in, in the sector. Can you tell me, I mean, you must have had expectations before having such a successful career. Did, it, did the reality match up to the expectations? What does a day look like being responsible for such an important office? Tell me, what, what, what is it really like? Yeah, that's a really good question. I had very simple expectations. Uh, I do try to, to keep life simple in that sense. And my simple expectations were I wanted to work in an environment where colleagues would be committed to making a real impact, a real sustainable impact in the lives of our beneficiaries, the migrants and the migrants' families and their communities and supporting governments to support the migrants, you know, and I, I've been incredibly fortunate, incredibly lucky, because IOMers, by and large, are very highly committed, committed and dedicated people. And the problem is that we're big stress balls. Many of us work many, many hours, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours um, a week. Um, many of us, you know, we live and breathe work. I mean, we're passionate and we're committed, but you know, we can't achieve work-life balance. It's really, it really is tough. And, and that's why the global staff survey the HRM put out that I alluded to earlier was so revealing because it did show us that our levels of engagement are, it was all green it, through the roof, excellent, very high levels, but our levels of stress all in the red, terrible, 
terrible levels of stress and it's not sustainable. So that's why we as GSAC are, you know, are, are really trying to promote mental health and trying to promote the idea of self-care as well. As you look after others, other staff and our beneficiaries, you also need to engage in self-care. So I had these very simple expectations. They did match the, the reality at IOM. Very fortunate in that regard. <laughs> but my expectations have personally also changed over the years. And now I'd like us to have the same commitment to take care of ourselves and achieve work-life balance um, that we have to supporting our beneficiaries. And I devote most of my days to, to this goal now, as do, as do the other GSAC members. I, I know you do. As part of the, the service that I lead, this is not only to, to enable professionals to go into the impact sector, but for, for instance, for the fellowship, it's, it's to career progression strategically in smart ways. In your case, could you share with me, for instance, let's put it this way, what would you advise yourself if, if you were finishing your bachelor's degree or your, your master's degree? And what would you advise yourself to do in order to reach such a position as you have right now such an influential and such a contribution to society and in, in all senses yeah i would focus on the contribution part i mean you know some people would maybe want to get into it to be in an important or an influential position in quotes let's say it, but i find that If you view it as a calling, as a vocation, working in the humanitarian and the development sector, right? If you view it as, as a calling and you, this contribution aspect that you mentioned, contributing to a broader goal. For IOM, it's contributing to serving migrants and making migrants' lives better. That could be trafficked children. That could be returnees. That could be migrant workers. Uh, that could be smuggled migrants, environmental migrants, what have you, you know, but We're all contributing toward a broader goal. That's more important than trying to get to a position of influence or power or authority or importance, you know? Um, so that's the advice that we give. And, and it, it shouldn't just be about, for this sector, you know, um, the grade or the salary or I want to advance quickly in terms of those things, you know? And, and one thing that I found that if you go into this sector genuinely wanting to make those kinds of contributions to our beneficiaries. Um, yes, you might have to pay your dues, you know, in terms of being in hardship duty stations, being on short-term contracts. Almost all of us, most of us have been there. I've been there. Most of us have been there. Hmm. Um, and timing is key. But what I found is that if, you're work, if you work hard and you're truly committed to making such contributions, chances are, your work will be recognized and appreciated. Not by everyone, not by all your supervisors, not by all colleagues, and that's life, right? <laughs> But yeah. chances are that some people in a position to support your career development and your career advancement will recognize that you've worked hard, you've been committed, and you've been genuine in trying to, in trying to advance the causes that the organization espouses. Um, and so ultimately have realistic expectations starting out. Most things that are valuable in life and that are worth pursuing in life, they take time. They require effort, energy, patience, perseverance, persistence, grit. At the end of the day, they require you to be gritty and to be resilient. So 
that's the advice I think I would give. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Joe. And and I think this is my last question. Going back again to uh, GSAC, what's, which section, areas, policies, uh, UN staff policies, would you say every member of the staff should, must know and be well, well aware and updated when pursuing a UN career? Okay. Well, there are so many policies. And interestingly, IOM only joined the UN in September 2016, so just over three years ago. Yes. So our policies are very different to the UN's policies. Most of the UN agencies have similar policies. IOM is very different. And they are in the process of harmonizing them to bring them in line with UN policies, but it will take time. So key policies for staff members within IOM specifically, I would say IN275, our instruction which provides a framework for reporting on misconduct and investigating misconduct, the one I had talked about earlier. Our instruction 217, which gives you the template and procedures for a request for review in case you want to contest an administrative decision, action, or omission. And if you need to go to the Joint Administrative Review Board, if you need to go down the formal legal route. Um, our instructions on health insurance and medical service plan and compensation plan are important, like IN94, IN95. So, for instance, um, under IN94 and 95, if you're in a car accident and you don't declare it within eight days, but you have neck or back problems later, That's it. You're not covered under our health insurance. Mm. And we have had cases like this where people have come to GSAC and they say, we don't, we don't, we didn't know about this. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, these are the rules. They're laid out in IN94 and IN95 and in our compensation plan on occupational accidents and illnesses and our medical service plan. So then GSAC can't do much in that case. Yeah. Um, we are lobbying to extend it from eight days to 30 days at least. And it looks like that will bear fruit that advocacy work because I think they will change it in the coming months now. That's the indication we've received. But people, staff members need to be aware of these rules and regulations. And then another two that are important are instruction 15 and instruction 234. Instruction 15 is standards of conduct and instruction 234 is prevention of sexual exploitation and abuse. These are both very important Because, well, we have a zero tolerance policy on sexual exploitation and abuse, but also standards of conduct. It, it really is very broad and lays out so much that new staff members need to know. And these are the two policies that staff members need to read and sign that they've read before they're allowed to join the organization. So it's part of the onboarding process now. And the last one I would mention is IN90 on the respectful workplace environment. Um, which is how we're, we're meant to treat each other and behave and so on. I see. And I have this question. You mentioned also about the responsibility of the manager in terms of career development. <clears throat> I have a question because I am on the belief that we also have to empathize that it's, it's not, I mean, it's, it's not the staff against the, the management. This is, a, we are organization and, and, and sometimes there's a lot of factors why these things that are in the policy don't happen. Is, is there any structure from the GSAC to say a staff member just to have a consultancy to consult with you? Like, hey, this is my situation. Uh, I've been receiving this uh, 
support in career development? Is this fine? Should I, is this much less that I should be expecting? Is there something for that set up? Absolutely. We have structures and procedures in place uh, as GSAC. So one of the most important roles that we have is to actively listen to staff. It could be about their concerns or it could just be about their interests in terms of career development. Or maybe they just want okay. um, confirmation that what they're doing is, is right, that they're on the right path or that they're not missing out on something. Okay. It's not always negative. It's not, people often think of staff associations as, oh, we're always there only to field concerns and issues and problems, solve problems and all that. But no, it's also about positive stuff. Like sometimes they just want to know, they, sometimes staff members come to us and say, you know, things are going well. I'm not being harassed. I'm not being bullied. I enjoy my work and, and I have been developing in my career, but I want to make sure I'm not missing out on anything. And I want to know you know, I'm interested maybe in, in shifting my focus from, I don't know, being a, a resources management officer to achieve a mission or uh, being in a support role, let's say, within the ethics and conduct office instead of being in ICT or whatever the case may be. And so sometimes that's all they want is active listening and guidance, or sometimes they want empathy. They want you to be able to put yourself in their shoes and provide guidance and, and advice accordingly, or referrals or support, whatever the case may be. So yeah, our structures and our procedures, our standard operating procedures and so on, are set up in such a way as to provide all those different kinds of support as per the needs and the interests uh, of the staff members. I see. Uh, Joe, what can I say? I'm quite proud that you are in that position, I see, and, and, and it's uh, quite evident the growth and the development that you've been able to achieve being in that position. <clears throat> I want to congratulate you and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. And, and I can also tell you that this is my personal belief, also these achievements that you're doing and our work here on Impactful, I, I would like to also invite you to, if we can share all those new policies, new things, because I do believe that good practices must be shared throughout the sector, not only in the UN system, and I know that, that, that some NGOs don't have the same budget and, and etc. but when somebody is doing a, a good job for so many professionals and it's fair and it, it does good to everyone, even the beneficiaries, I'm convinced they should be democratized and, and everybody should take inspiration as I, I have today. Well, thank you very much for this opportunity to share a bit about uh, what we've been trying to do to support staff. And absolutely, we are trying to spread the word on these developments. And one important thing that I think we do is we put out tons of information and communications materials to all staff members worldwide, even non-global staff association members. And we've got 10,957 uh, members. And with our latest membership drive, we're now, in, as of the 1st of February 2020, going to go above 12,300 GSA members um, spread all across the world. And we really do try to communicate regularly all of these developments and share lots and lots of information materials. And, and we do get positive feedback from staff on that. So we'll continue to do that in various formats and through various means and methods in 2020. 
Great, so count with us also for that. Uh, thank you very much. Have a great day. I appreciate very much you having you here and let's keep working for the purpose. Thank you very much. Definitely let's keep working together and uh, thanks. Great talking to you today, Jorge. Great, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.